Sid, on the Weekend View, we do that uh, every week at this time, and uh, privilege and pleasure to say good morning to Juanita Williams, who's managing editor at allafricannews.com, and Janet Hurd, uh, managing editor at Daily Maverick. Good morning to you. Hello. Good morning. Excellent. Thank you very much for being with us. We didn't have to send you a please call me because, well, apparently we're, we, we've, we've got some sort of uh, savior on the horizon here at the SABC. We're not going to talk too much about that. But certainly, let me start with you, Janet. The furore around this please call me has really captured the imagination of a lot of people and garnered a lot of support. Yet some of the actual facts of the matter seem to have been forgotten. It's been an interesting story the way it's developed, isn't it? Yes, I think um, obviously people generally, the public, don't have a good relationship with their service provider. The costs are too high. So, of course, when a story like this emerges, the sort of David and Goliath kind of case, that it always becomes of, of huge public interest. And it's been bubbling over for, for years, and now it's come to a head with all these offers and the rejection. And I think so this week it kind of, the public campaigning around it is very interesting with such high-profile figures um, like Julie Madoncella and ANC figures. So, I mean, it's a lot of money being you know, talked about, a demand of $70 billion. Um, to Makate, um, and them offering you know, way below that. You know, the, the offer was a 49 million rand offer. So no one knows really where this is going to end up, but it's a fascinating story that I think gets a lot the public very interested. Certainly, it, it would appear that Vodacom really did drop the ball in handling this one because, on the face of it, it it's something quite straightforward which could have been uh, sorted out, uh, you know, at the time without getting it, digging itself a hole. And at the moment, it seems to be digging the hole even deeper. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a PR nightmare for them. I don't understand much about the inner workings of these big corporates. But what I have heard, um, if I'm not mistaken, via a business report, is that um, Vodacom is having an issue with how much they actually have to pay out to this person because it's for an idea, and it's difficult to put a price on that. Now, far be it for me to um, not join the country in shouting, please pay this person his money. Yeah. But if, if it is as complicated as, I mean, we, I think we all understand that putting an amount of money on an idea that has evolved and has been taken on by other um, networks as well, um, would be quite difficult. But yeah, I think they dropped the ball on it. It's, it's quite clear that they could have moved faster. But that apparently is um, what is making it complicated. It's been another very, very interesting week as the wheels are turning against uh, what we know as state capture and uh, possibly not uh, last nine years. Daily Maverick was one of the publications and obviously with it, uh, you're working with Scorpio and Amabungani who uncovered a lot of uh, this kind of stuff on the way. Has anything come out in the last week, Janet, which uh, was unexpected from your point of view? Or is everything that's been presented so far pretty much uh, what you'd expected? I think the shock doesn't stop. In mm. fact, um, I think even people have been reporting on state capture through the years and often falling on death years through the years. Um, you know, now it's, it's sort of come to head. And the actual live raw testimony... In, at the Zondo Commission is just jaw-dropping, I think, even for people who've been covering the story at such a very intricate Um Obviously, the focus a lot of the state capture had been on the pictures, and now it's really blown a little wider, even though there have been a lot of investigative stories on Basasa through the years. 
you know, the, the Guptas was what has been sort of captivating people for the part more recently. Um, so, yeah, this week, the Agrizi testimony, day nine in his, in, his, in his testimony, then when he got, you know, sort of revealed very alarmingly that he was a racist, that I think is one of the big shocks of the week. Um, and I think it took a lot for reporters at the scene to actually, you know, they struggled through that themselves, never mind the public. So how that unraveled is going to be really interesting, that testimony by agreed and that sort of this revelation that, in fact, he is a racist. Um, what does that mean, you know, for everything? So I think that was the big shock of the week. Um, I know that City Press, I think it was last year, did report on these allegations of racism at the time when it, when it leaked. But obviously, as it comes up in front of the Zonda, it's all just so, sort of the spotlight is so intense there. So it all kind of pieces together like a real uh, story and where this is going to go. You know, there'll be more testimony next week on, or this week on Basasa. It's going to continue. And I want you to see this sort of a thing never ending. I think it can almost be exhausting to the point of exhaustion now. Like everyone wants to know, well, what is going to happen? What is the NPA going to do? When are people going to go to jail? Look, this is going to take a long, long time to sort out. I was speaking to one of my teachers at university, and he said this is probably a generational thing it's going to take to sort out. And uh, you can sort of understand that uh, viewpoint. But Juanita, in terms of covering these kind of commissions, we are so used to, in this day and age, dealing with sort of uh, small bites of news. Um, Justice Zondo himself has, you know, criticized the media for, you know, when covering the testimony, and it's untested testimony at this stage, um, when, the, you know, some of the reportage goes out, he's, you know, accused the media of not, you know, getting the other side of the story, which, you know, Journalism 101 sort of says when you do a story, you need to balance it. Um, is the media missing something there, or is this just the way we do report these days? Okay, well, yeah, I mean... That is clearly a challenge for all media houses. Um, the, the rolling deadline is something that most of us who have worked online mm. um, over the years are quite used to. And as the information comes out, you report on that information. You do, however, need to contextualize where that information is coming from. Because at the moment, the, the statements that are coming out are so shocking that, and it's coming out so quickly. So in order to be, you have to kind of balance between wanting to be the first to get some information out and then getting it out correctly. And that has always been a challenge with online news. And now that other forms of media have joined that kind of rolling deadline, it has become quite a challenge for, for all of the journalists. Janet, has what's been going on in the last week or so been good for the Daily Maverick and the interest in uh, your website and your articles and stuff? I think a lot of interest in the state capture inquiry. Mm. I think we've had Jessica Pavodin, she's a veteran there, who's been covering it and has really given us, uh, you know, she, she puts a different, she really does assess the story and deliver real powerful overnight packages. Um, we also do, you know, just referring to the conversation about quick files, we do do some quick on-day reporting and, you know, there are the, the issues around, you know, waiting for right of reply. But really, it's not realistic. As far as I know, Zonda hasn't asked journalists to not report, not report and, and only get a right, wait for a right of reply. That's not the case. It's not realistic. It's like reporting on a court case. 
I think the key mm-hmm. issue is to just reflect that they're allegations and they're untested. I mean, leaders are not stupid. They know that this is testimony that's ongoing. And we generally put out a call, write a response query to ask people to respond at the time. And when that comes in, we obviously publish that. But um, we've had huge interest in all the inquiries, actually. The PRC inquiry, has, you know, we've been covering that, and also the the Ziba uh, Mwebi inquiry. So I think that, and they're all coming together, you know, obviously have our headline story on the Shamila Batoy taking the her first day in office um, by Ferial Hafidi. So kind of all the, all the little threads are they sort of all in a way connected. <laughs> Juanita, of course, with all Africa news, you're about to delivering more than just what's going on in South Africa. The, the traction you've gained from your coverage of the events inside South Africa, how's that been in terms of the, the state capture and I suppose communicating what it actually is all about with a more international audience? Yes, it has been a difficult task. Um, it's not possible for us to go straight in talking about Bosasa um, because it, we, we really do have to contextualize every single thing we publish. So I must say that um, our editors have had quite a job with writing headlines that will get people to be interested in the issue. Um, not as much interest um, in the sort of general issues when, when people's names other than Zuma and sort of well-known people are mentioned. So, you know, if, if the president is being spoken about, then we would get a lot of interest in that. But when it gets down to the integrity, we have to think of angles that actually are just straight about corruption. Corruption stories um, on the continent are, are, are covered really well and do really well in terms of, of traffic. So, yeah, that's, I mean, I think that the biggest problem, especially with the report that came out recently about corruption on the continent and saying that sub-Saharan Africa is the most corrupt um, area of the continent that, that certainly covers us as well. So, yeah. I'd like to pick up on something which really interests me from perceptions of democracy point of view. And, uh, you know, we in South Africa are fairly fortunate, I think, in the way our democracy has developed. Yes, we're not perfect. But one has to look at a country like Uganda, where Bobby Wine, he's a musician, but he's also a politician. And he's actually been in jail for, you know, leading campaigns in Uganda and possibly you know, mounting a presidential campaign. I find that quite interesting because one gets the sense that, you know, despite what he's said before, perhaps, you know, he still believes that uh, Museveni himself can can actually be challenged at the ballot box. Yes, he does seem to believe that. I mean, he's been quoted as saying he's seriously considering challenging Museveni in the next presidential election, which is going to be in 2020. I, I must say that his campaign up until now because he's a member of parliament. Um, he began his campaign in parliament fighting against uh, the amendment to the constitution which removed the presidential term limits. So he came out fighting. That was, that's what his campaign has been hanging on, on all the time. And of course, we know that um, the amendments were made and they lost that battle in parliament. But he has he's moved on to you know, taxes on mobile money and social media, um, being introduced by the government. So he's rallied against that. Yes, he was arrested. He was tortured by security operatives. Um, he's had several of his music concerts cancelled. So it's not only affected his life as a citizen, but also his job, because um, there's the assumption that the latest music regulations in Uganda 
which um, forces musicians to get a practicing certificate and uh, submit drug tests. Um, he's targeted at Bobby Wine so that he, you know, he can lose his, his way of making a living. And he has recently been in, I think, the announcement that he's um, thinking of running for president has come during his visit to the U.S., where he's met up with several um, funders, no doubt. That's Juanita Williams, uh, who's the managing editor at allafricannews.com. I also spoke to Janet Hurd from Daily Maverick. She's also the managing editor there. But now to pick on some of the... Issues that have come up in the EFF's manifesto coverage, and especially its policies on media. We're joined on the line by Mary Papaya, who's son of Media Freedom Chen, also an independent media analyst. Mary, good morning to you. Thank you for speaking to us. Very comprehensive and maybe slightly contradictory in, in some ways what the EFF has to say about media and particularly us here at the SABC. What did you make of it? Good morning. Um, my sense is one must not read too much about him, uh, you know, writing this manifesto, focusing it on all matters democratic. If you look at it, it, is, it was a wide sweeping um, election manifesto that ticks all the right boxes for their voters, telling their voters what they, I think their voters like to hear. From a media perspective, from an, um, if we look at the issues that came up, I think one has to look at um, the two critical issues here. Uh, the one thing that struck me was his wide-ranging, sweeping comment around um, uh, women journalists and the harassment of journalists. Now, if you look at this, um, the journalists who were cyber-trolled and harassed were largely women. We know that. We know that he said it and then his supporters went forward with it. So from that perspective... One needs to say, well, if that is the case, what transcendment of this statement was sent down to his supporters? Because at the end of the day, it is what the supporters have to do as well. So I don't really take that too seriously. I think it was a nice to hear. Um, secondly, around the SABC and what's going on there, again, I think um, a nice statement to make. But if one transcends that into action, are we likely to see that happen? So there are two things that stand out for me. I think Senate made it very clear to the EFF that we wanted a meeting and um, many calls were made to the EFF on all issues, media freedom. We never got a response. You would know that we asked um, for, for them to meet with us ideally before the elections and they said no. We have now, uh, from a Senate perspective, launched this matter with the Equality Court. So from that perspective, if there was any seriousness to it, I think that a call would have been made to the entity that is most likely to support media freedom and make sure that the run-up to the election remains a free and fertile environment for journalists to do their work. In terms of, uh, you know, getting the media on side, uh, so to speak, I mean, of course, that uh, you've alluded to and mentioned th- the run-ins that uh, the media have had with various members of the EFF on a personal level. We have to think of Floyd Chivambu there. And, of course, the the sweeping statements which have been made before. Also, you know, things said about uh, the SABC sort of uh, basically uh, calling, you know, jumping to the tune of the ruling party. But... He does make reference to the fact that the SABC um, is something which needs to be supported and nurtured and grown. 
I mean, I don't think that is a unique statement by a leader. I think most leaders are thinking that way. It's a, it's, it's, it's a comment that we've heard from several quarters. Um, for me, the thing is, when it was happening and it was there, what efforts were made to make sure that the SABC did not lead to in, in the direction that it is right now? I mean, certainly from an SABC perspective, um, efforts were made by various civic organizations to say that the SABC is a public broadcaster, it belongs to all the people of South Africa, and they called called it out when it was happening. I think those statements and those efforts come a little too late, given the fact that the SABC is in the situation that it is right now. I think they needed to have been a lot more said before, a lot more action taken before, particularly by leaders who are elected, elected to govern in whatever capacity. I would have liked to see to have seen that happen a lot longer and a lot earlier, not it just being a part of an election manifesto, which we'd like our voters to hear. That's Mary Papaya, Sanaf Media Freedom Chair and Independent Media Analyst.